All right. Well, we're going to have some fun tonight. Judges chapter 15. I know we're all of different ages here, but I grew up watching those 80s action movies where the good guy could fight 300 people and nothing ever touched him. And that's what we're going to see here in Judges chapter 15, except it's historical, not just an action movie. And so if you get bored with all the these and thous and the Levitical priests and the tents and all that kind of stuff, and you just want some good old-fashioned action, you came to the right evening at Calvary Chapel Low Country. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to see what Samson is up to and what mischief he can cause. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your word and the variety in your word and how different it is and yet all applicable it works in us, it works in us in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds, Lord, and we pray that you would have your way with us this evening and teach us, teach us what not to do with Samson, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read the first five verses. Again, we're in the life of Samson, and this guy don't know when to quit. Verse one, after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, and he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought you had thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And he took torches, turned the foxes' tails tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. So there's a lot of questions I hope you have, because if you're reading this, you're like, I don't understand anything that's going on. Now, this is culturally completely foreign to us, right? First of all, he's returning back to his wife with what? Not a bouquet of red roses, that's something we would do. Not chocolates, you know, not something sweet, not a good cart. No, he's bringing a goat. Something about the goat says, this is what's going to reunite me with my wife. So he, he brings a goat, he goes there. We don't know how much time has passed. We do know from the last incident and the riddle, we know from the fight that they just had, the Philistines that he has murdered, remember, taking their clothes, paid off that debt that that's all taking place, but we're not told what the gap of time here is. I I don't even want to guess. I'm just going to leave those questions where they lay. But when he gets there, whether it's attached to the house or next to the house or in the same town, I don't know, but she's not answering the door. Her father answers the door and says, listen, I thought you hated her, thought you abandoned her. We married her off to somebody else. Just so happened to be the best man at your wedding that we married married her off to. And then another cultural thing that we don't understand happens here. He says, but she has an unmarried younger sister. Why don't you take her as a bride? Like, well, what in the world is just happening here? And where is the goat? Well, I don't, I don't understand. Well, what is happening here? And so Samson is upset. Now, another thing we don't know, is the father lying? Is this planned or pre-planned? Was it conniving? Was it just a happenstance that they decided to do this? we, We don't know. But Samson, we know he's a caring, compassionate, loving person, passive, 
doesn't like confrontation, right? You guys remember that from the last couple chapters? If you're not in your head, yes, you have not been paying attention. This, this guy has what we like to say, no chill. He is furious. And then he says something that's really interesting to me in verse 3. He says, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm, harm them. Analyze the statement with me, shall you? This time I will be blameless. So, you know, I, I killed all those other Philistines before, and, you know, I took a Philistine bride, and I caused all this havoc. I know I did that on purpose. It wasn't good. But now I'm going to kill them on purpose, and it's going to be a good thing. That's what he's saying. What is going on in this guy's mind? Now, I want to remind us, last week, we talked about how Samson is found in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, and that God is using this situation just like he told his parents when they were born to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Why does God use Samson this way? Why is this a part of his plan? Is he condoning this? Well, let's work backwards. Is he condoning this? Never. He never instructs Samson to do any of this stuff. He just does it. That's who he is. What is God's plan and why is God using Samson here? Why this particular way? I have no idea. The scripture says his ways are beyond our ways and beyond our finding out. I know that it has a plan and a purpose. I know that we can look at Samson's life and we can apply grace to ourselves. And we can apply mercy and the honesty of God, but that his plans are never foiled either. You know, we can mess up really bad. We can be really bad, sinful people, and the Lord is not going to fail. He is going to win regardless. We can also do amazing things, spectacular things, and find out if they are in His will or not in His will, something He wants to be done or doesn't want us to do, something we're doing against Scripture or inspired by Scripture or the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, when those things are happening, the Lord is not shocked. He's not surprised. Everything happens exactly the way that He wants it to happen. It's hard for us to understand how we can be fallen and sinful and make bad choices. But then at the same time, in the sovereignty and the omniscience of God, He knows all those things before they happen. He knows all things. He's not surprised by anything. He's not shocked. Now, I want to point something else out. How in the world did Samson catch 300 foxes? Like you can't catch foxes. First of all, they don't hang out together. They are practically invisible. Now, if you've ever heard one screeching in the night, it is a scary thing. Those things are, are loud. But I loved what Guzik said because I didn't even think about it until he put it out in his commentary. He said, some object that Samson could not have captured 300 foxes. Yet the word translated foxes probably refers to a jackal, not a fox. And jackals are known to be in large packs, sometimes up to 200. Second, there is nothing that says Samson did this all by himself. And third, there is nothing that says he did it all in one day. I thought that was fascinating. Makes sense. So jackals, foxes, animals, it doesn't really matter to me. He gets 300 of them in, in a certain amount of time. I like to think that this is premeditated because it says here he's tying their tails and he's putting a torch between the tails. I mean, doing 150 repetitions of anything is a lot. I just envision, again, we're going to be a scary place. We're going to go on my imagination. 
Now, he's got a cage full of 300 jackals, foxes, whatever you want to imagine. And he's just pulling them out two by two by the tail. Do they bite him? Are they barking? Are they squealing? And he grabs them, and then he ties a torch between their tails, and then he puts them in the other cage. Oh, got one done. I'm going to repeat that 149 times. He is a little upset, don't you think? But this all has a plan. So now he takes those guys in his giant wagon of foxes, I guess. I don't know. And then he strategically is going around, and he's lighting the torch on fire and letting them go so that it's going into all the fields and all the vineyards where all the hay is and all the stalks and all the harvest, and he is burning their entire economy to the ground. You want to talk about economic terrorism? He is burning their crops, their food, their money, their investments. Remember, the fruit and the seeds and the grain is not only used to eat, it's to plant to next year's crop. They're not going to the store to get this. And they're waiting all year round for these harvests, and they finally harvest. That means hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month. They have been tilling this ground and sowing this ground and watering this ground and making sure no animals come and eat it and weeding it and protecting it. And then Samson comes along, just lets these animals go, and he lights a thing on fire like that. It's over. How are you going to feel if you're a Philistine and you see that? If some, some people here I know, you get paid like once a month. And I bet you count down the seconds till that paycheck comes in. Imagine you get paid once a year, and you're at the mailbox, and that thing ain't showing up. How are you going to feel? That is what has happened here. But wait, there's more. Let's read verses 6 through 8. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now, if you, in the scheme of this chapter, these verses get moved over really quickly and you kind of miss them. The Philistines are so upset that they go to the house of fellow Philistine family and take the father and the former bride and burn them alive. That's how upset they are. This whole chapter just shows us the carnage and the heartache of revenge and retaliation and anger and how it is never quenched. The revenge and retaliation and the anger that we see has literally lit the whole world on fire. The crops are on fire. The food is on fire. The people are on fire. I mean, they're lighting people on fire. And it is just, it's so sad. What is it about our human nature, though, that kind of relates to Samson, like, well, you took his wife. I mean, what did you expect him to do? I don't know, maybe not burn down the whole world. Probably not a good idea. We think about the Philistines. Like, why, why did you do that to those poor people? 
I don't know, maybe because all of us lost our entire uh, livelihood. And we can, in our mind, in our fallen nature, we get to see in ourselves that, yeah, we're kind of excited about revenge and retaliation if it's for us. But when it's against us, what do we want? Mercy, grace, favor. And it's so easy in those moments of passion to justify ourselves and to become aggressive and to lash out. But when you're on the receiving end of the same thing, we have a different judgment. And it's sad. And the Lord's revealing all these things to us. Now, they perish, and Samson says, oh, okay, I'm going to forgive you because I'm a loving, gracious individual. No, he says, I'm going to take my revenge on all of you. And so... Not only does he say that, he says in verse 8, or so it says in verse 8, so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. That is a figure of speech in Hebrew in the Old Testament to say that this was an epic uh, battle. This is ripping them limb from limb, we would say in English, in, in American slang. Ripping them limb from limb. Hip what does it say there? Hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And, so he, and then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock at Edom. So he takes his vengeance on them. And then when it says he dwells in the cleft of the rock at Edom, he's saying he's escaped. So he can't hide anywhere. The, the entire Philistine nation is after him. Remember, the Philistines are in charge of and oppressing the nation of Israel. So he can't go to the nation of Israel either. So he's hiding in the rocks. He's literally hiding in a hole to escape because he's wanted dead or alive. The whole world is after him. That's what, it, that's what happens when you start taking revenge and you start having anger and you start lashing out. Suddenly you're all by yourself hiding. And they all want to put a stop to it. And now we see in verses 9 through 13. Now the Philistines went up, encamped in Judah, and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom. Everybody knows where Samson is, right? And said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And so, verse 13, So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And I got, I got so much to say about this. All right, number one, Israel is being oppressed by the Philistines. The Philistines come, deploy their army around. They're probably searching homes, kicking doors down. Who's hiding Samson? Um, so the nation of Israel is upset about this. They know exactly where he's hiding, so they go straight to him. Like, hey, what are you doing, man? He says, I'm doing to them what they did to me. Yeah, but don't you know the Philistines are in charge of us? You see how whipped they are? This is God's chosen people. And they are living in this oppression. And they want to betray the man who is killing their enemy. They want to betray their own kinsman who is killing their enemy. They could have been like, let's go get these guys. I'm sick of them knocking my doors down. 
But as a country and as a culture, they've been so psychologically defeated and held hostage and paying those ties to the tributes to the false king that they're just sitting there. And they're willing to do what they say. And they're willing to take Samson and arrest him. I'm going to come back to that in a second. So then Samson says, well, as long as you guys don't kill me, go ahead. Now, this is what I don't know. Did Samson know what was going to happen next? Is he doing this out of pride? Like, I'll just kill them again, too. I really don't care. I can handle anything. Was it defeat? He's by himself. His own people are betraying him. He's hiding in the rocks. He can't go anywhere. Seems unlikely, but it's possible. Was it faith? Well, God's just delivered me all this time, so he'll deliver me again. No big deal. We have no idea. Did he know he could break the bonds? We don't know. Nevertheless, he says, go ahead, arrest me, turn me in. Think about that. You have just burned the entire economy down. You have killed dozens upon dozens of Philistines, one time just to rob them of their clothes, and now you're saying, go ahead, turn me in. It'll be okay. Sure, go ahead, let's go. And the nation of Israel, that's what I'm going to come back to, is so defeated and whipped and beaten down, they say, this is what we got to do. we got to take this guy that did all that and give it to the Philistines. Well, this is where the practical application comes in, because there's not much in Samson that we want to learn from. But how whipped are you? Or how defeated are you by the world and by our culture and by this is just the way it's always been, that we don't talk about the Lord or our victories. We don't talk about even just being a Christian or being proud of what Christ has done in our lives. Or we don't stand up to things that are wrong, that are evil. And we just don't say anything about it because this is just the way it is in our society. And when the Lord returns and he'll set all things right. Here you go. And then we turn on ourselves. We attack the church. We attack our own brothers and sisters in Christ. We criticize them. We judge them. They do something wrong and we, we cast them out because we're whipped. And the Bible says that we're to be not conformed to this world to be transformed in the renewing of our mind, to realize that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and that we have victory. And then let's not even take it culturally. More importantly, in your life, does sin have you whipped in your life, your own mind, your own uh, mental hardships, your own anxieties, your own fear? Just has you whipped in oppression where you just think there's no way out of this. There's just no way. This is just the way it's going to be. Well, sometimes... You just have to be like Samson and have the Spirit of the Lord come upon you and say, so what? I'm just going to take care of this. How do you take care of it? What do you mean? Well, let me show you. Verses 14 through 17. When he came to Lehi, remember, he's in bonds now. He's about to be turned over, public enemy number one. The Philistines came shouting against him, I bet. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, The ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. You guys strap in because it's about to get fun. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Yes, y'all, he is singing. 
And so it was, when he had, fin- when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and he called the place Ramath Lehi. Ramath Lehi, if you're all wondering, it means jawbone hill. So he's public enemy number one. I want you to envision this happening on the news tonight. FBI's most wanted list, number one, he gets turned in. He's in shackles. He's getting turned in. And then all of a sudden, all of the shackles just fall off. The guy picks up a random stick off the ground and murders everyone in his sight. What would that be like? Not one, not two, not ten, not a hundred. One thousand. With the job, what the with the jawbone of a donkey, like what are you trying to show us here, Lord? It couldn't be a sword, it couldn't be a hatchet, a machine gun, like what what is going on? It's a random jawbone of a donkey. Second, what kind of place are they in where they just have a random donkey corpse sitting around? But there they are in public, and he just grabs the first tool he can, and just goes to work. And what is the most important thing of all this? Because it's not the jawbone that makes this possible. It's not the weapon. We know that. It's not Samson. We're going to see that later in another chapter. It's because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Of all the people in the world, to have the Spirit of the Lord come upon them, does Samson deserve it? No. Is Samson a good guy? No. Is Samson the person you want to have at the dinner table with your family? No. No. But that's who God uses. I mean, this is not as close to a 1980s action movie as you will ever see. Like, if we watched this today, we'd be like, this is so impossible, this is silly. What is this, the A-team? I just saw 30 bad guys with Uzis and not a single person got shot. Like, what just happened here? But that is exactly what God has done. And not only is Samson so tough and and maniacal, he writes a song while he's doing it. Are we catching this? He is singing a song about this accomplishment. Now, don't worry, we're going to come back to this, but I do have another application for us. (laughs) What do you think you need to be successful? Well, if I just had a million dollars, if I just had a different spouse, a new car, If I just had different kids, if I just had a different location, if I had a house in wherever, then I would be able to be able to do this for the Lord. But Samson is showing to us, it doesn't matter what is in your hand. God will use whatever you have, whether it's the jawbone of a donkey, a staff, a sling, a sword, a robe with Isaiah. It doesn't matter. Whatever God has in your hand, he will use that. It's, it's Him and His working in your life. And it's you submitting to God, to the Creator, receiving from Him, being empowered by Him, being encouraged by Him, and having Him mold you into His image. What fear do you have that is bigger than God? What anxiety do you have that is bigger than the Holy Spirit? What depression do you have that is greater than his plans for you? And what have you done? What sin have you done in your life? What terrible deed that is greater than his grace? The answer to all those is silly when you say it out loud. So say those things out loud when you are experiencing those things and you're going through those difficult things. 
And you'll be surprised what kind of crazy victories you can have in Christ through that. Now, Samson, I mean, he's just going to be an invincible warrior forever, isn't he? He's just going to be the pride of life. Well, let's read verses 18 through 20 and see what happens now. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. And to me, this is the most beautiful portion of the whole chapter. Now, the rest of the chapter gets me personally very excited. I mean, that's a great story. I'm all about it. But Samson, whether he looks like the Hulk or whether he's a skinny guy, I really don't care. But this guy is a mass murderer. He is a killer. He is a tough guy. He is aggressive. He is assertive. Anything that he wants, he gets it. He makes things happen. He is invincible. And he's defeated by thirst. Alexander the Great, he conquered the whole world, the whole known world he conquered. As far as you could possibly march, he went and he conquered. And what was he defeated by? He got sick and he died. Very young age. And God is showing us, and showing me specifically, like it doesn't matter how strong you are, how hard you work, how, how good you are at anything. No man is promised tomorrow. Your heart stops beating, it's over. I don't care how tough you are. The toughest people we know, the strongest, the smartest, the fastest, fill in the blank, they're humans. And it's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. If, you, if God graces you with long life, you get old. And your body just doesn't work the same way anymore. If he blesses you in different ways, you have, you have different trials. You can get sick. You can get hurt. I mean, it's amazing. In my healthiest, I'm the worst when I have the cold or I have a back pain. Like, I have those two things. I feel like I got shot, debilitating. It's okay. We can all laugh at that. <laughs> but we show, we're shown here, as Samson is crying out to God, are you just going to let me die of dehydration? Now, the man just killed a 1,000 people with his bare hands. I would think he's a little dehydrated. Might be low on the electrolytes. Might be cramping up a bit. And so I really think that he is wrestling this out, like to the point of physical and emotional exhaustion. And he's crying out to the Lord. Notice, has he cried out to the Lord at all before this? That's because he's kind of like us, right? We don't pray like we pray when we're in a jail cell. We don't pray like we pray when we're in the hospital. And we definitely, I don't know anyone that prays as hard as when their loved one is in an emergency room. And now he's crying out to God, too. He needs help. But you know what's more amazing about this portion of the chapter? Is that God listens to him. Like, let him stick it out. I mean, maybe give him some dew. Make him suck it off the grass. You know, make him dig in the dirt and earn it. No, he just cracks open a rock and water flows out. He just drinks his fill. 
And this is a type of the grace of God. Jesus, the rock of our salvation, the water flowing, never-ending, in Him, rivers of life, shall never thirst again if you drink of me, Jesus said. And it's unmerited favor. He didn't get that because he destroyed a thousand Philistines. He got that because God chose him and decided to deliver him in this moment. We can defeat the whole world. We can accomplish all our goals. We can make everything happen that we've ever dreamed of. But if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you don't have anything. And you can accomplish all your goals in life, and eventually they're going to pass from your fingertips and go to somebody else. But everything that we do for Christ lasts into eternity. I think of Samson, and I think of Alexander the Great, and I think of a lot of other greats in history, and they're all in the grave. Only Jesus is not. And we will go to be with him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we lift up this evening to you a prayer, and we pray that we would be growing in you, and we thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor in Samson's life and in our lives, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to teach us and direct us, that we would love you more and more every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.